Last summer, Public Health England, an agency of England's Department of Health, released a report that strongly supported the use of electronic cigarettes by smokers who can't or won't quit smoking cigarettes. That position reflects a long history of commitment to harm reduction in England, which contrasts sharply with the overwhelming focus on nicotine abstinence in the United States. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Amy Fairchild, a professor of sociomedical sciences at the Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. Dr. Fairchild has co-authored a perspective article about England's case for endorsing e-cigarettes. Dr. Fairchild, why have e-cigarettes become so controversial in the public health community, even among people who share a common goal, I think, of preventing health problems associated with cigarette smoking? I'd like to acknowledge my two co-authors, Sharon Green and Ronald Baer, both at the Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. One of the reasons that e-cigarettes are so controversial, and they haven't always been, but currently it has to do with the way the issue is framed. When the issue is framed as a threat to youth and to non-smokers, the idea of harm reduction and e-cigarettes becomes extremely problematic. When the issue is framed as the burden that's borne by current smokers and the weight of the global tobacco epidemic, then harm reduction in part becomes a much more attractive option, recognizing that globally we have over 6 million deaths a year that are attributable to tobacco smoking, 5 million of those directly attributable to tobacco smoking. So with roughly 21% of the world's population currently smoking combustible cigarettes, mechanisms that are less harmful that can begin to reduce that toll are very attractive from a public health perspective. But your eye has to be on that group of current smokers to see the promise in e-cigarettes. You say that they're less harmful. And in fact, you write in your article that Public Health England claims that e-cigarettes are 95% less harmful than combustible cigarettes. Where did that figure come from? Is there good data behind it? That's been one of the figures that's been probably most hotly contested in the debate that has been swirling around the most recent Public Health England report. And I think that's a hard figure to point to with any kind of precision. There are so many different types of e-cigarette products out there today. Any kind of measurement, it's only going to capture a small percentage of those different products. But there is a great consensus. One of the positions that ASH, which is the most venerable anti-tobacco NGO in the UK, took in response to this report, and they have been very supportive of the report. And let me just underscore that ASH has a very long and deep and strong history of opposition to tobacco and has supported very muscular anti-tobacco regulations. Ash's comment on this was, you know, 95%, 69%, this is kind of the range of variations in how much less hazardous e-cigarettes are. The point is, it doesn't really matter that they are so much safer than tobacco cigarettes that we have to look at that big margin of safety, and we shouldn't focus on trying to pinpoint it precisely. The report also said that e-cigarettes have the potential to address health inequalities, reducing smoking among socioeconomically disadvantaged groups at a low cost. Has that kind of argument been made in the United States? I think it has been made in the United States, not as strongly, I think in large measure because youth really are still dominating the debate in the United States. Youth who, you know, haven't tried tobacco cigarettes, and one of the focuses in the U.S. has been cross-sectional CDC data that shows even though we still see youth 
tobacco combustible cigarette rates declining. CDC data that shows that e-cigarette experimentation has doubled. That's worried a lot of people. So that's really maintained the attention of researchers and public health professionals in the United States. So you talk about age differences. Have e-cigarettes been introduced or, or used in other different ways in England and the United States, or are the different views of the public health organizations in the two countries based solely on cultural differences between the countries? Well, given that everybody is looking at approximately the same evidence base, so I think they're, they're based on two kinds of differences. The first is a difference in, in uh, a preference for either a harm reduction framework or a precautionary framework. A precautionary framework would be one in which the underlying assumption is that until you can prove that it's safe, it needs to be kept off of the market. And this is a normative framework that came out of Germany in the 1970s. It had its origins in the environmental movement. So that's an important piece of it. But another important piece of it is a national history or a cultural history in relation to tolerance for risk. So in the United States, we've taken, you know, historically for, you know, more than a century, a relatively prohibitionist approach, not just to tobacco, but to all kinds of illicit drugs. It probably dates back farther than this, but it certainly starts with the 1915 Harrison Narcotics Act, in which the United States sought to very tightly regulate narcotics and didn't allow any room for treatment of people using things like morphine or heroin with small doses of morphine or heroin. If you look at the UK during roughly that same period of time, in 1926, you had what was called the, the Ralston Committee recommending that physicians prescribe morphine and heroin in the small smallest dose possible as a way to treat narcotics addiction. So in both of those countries, we see sort of very similar stances when it came to injecting drug users in the context of the AIDS epidemic. In the UK, you had the McClellan Report from the 1980s that embraced the possibility of giving sterile needles to injecting drug users in order to prevent the spread of HIV based on the rationale that HIV represented a far greater threat than drug use did at that moment in time. In the United States, in sharp contrast, you know, not only had we had extreme skepticism about methadone maintenance, which was kind of the precursor to drug harm reduction in the United States, but there was really strong opposition to needle exchange in the U.S. It was likened to another Tuskegee. This was like a Tuskegee experiment in which we were playing with the lives of marginalized and vulnerable populations. So those very different stances then also shape a preference for very deep, very extreme precaution versus a harm reduction approach that accepts that there is going to be some level of drug use, alcohol use, tobacco use in a population. And the question is not how to eliminate it and achieve cessation only, but how to make it safer. And do those regulatory differences continue to the present day? And do they exist, in fact, with regard to e-cigarettes between the two countries? So e-cigarette regulation is, I mean, it's controlled by the European Union overseas, and I'm not up on exactly where we stand with the EU. But overseas, the EU has taken a very precautionary stance against e-cigarettes, and it remains to be seen whether the Public Health England report is going to shape the potential to push back against the EU regulations that are going to go into effect in the United States, we're still waiting to hear about FDA regulations of e-cigarettes, and that has been hotly contested, and nobody quite knows what's going to come out of the FDA. There have been a number of cities and locales in the United States that have taken moves to ban e-cigarette smoking in public places, places like Boston, New York, 
Chicago, L.A. were some of the first major cities to begin to treat e-cigarettes exactly the same way that tobacco cigarettes are treated. But one of the areas of controversy remains over whether or not there's going to be regulation of e-cigarette advertising, whether there's going to be regulation of flavors. In the United States, it's going to be a combination of state and local regulatory efforts that are in some ways waiting to see what happens at the FDA level. And one of the things I would point out in the United States is we still have cities and municipalities where tobacco smoking is not prohibited in public places. So it just kind of gives you a sense of the mixed bag, the mixed regulatory bag that we have in the United States. Finally, how should individual physicians make sense of these different interpretations of e-cigarettes and, and their potential harms or benefits? Where should they turn for information on how to treat patients with nicotine addiction? As physicians think about how they're going to talk to patients about e-cigarettes, I think that they have to start by thinking about the needs of that individual patient. As they think about where to turn for information, I think the first thing they have to do is make a fundamental decision about whether it's important for this patient to reduce their risks, to begin to minimize smoking, or whether it's important for this patient to take a cessation-only stance because short of going to the scientific evidence themselves and reading through it all, they're going to be looking at it through the lens of organizations that have made a commitment to, and this is not to say that there is a a misreading of the evidence on on the part of any organization, but they have made a commitment to uh, being open to the possibility of risk or a commitment to some risk not to unknown risks, but to some risks, or that have made a commitment to closing down any kind of discussion on electronic cigarettes until there is definitive evidence. But they have to recognize that that definitive evidence could be decades away. One of the interesting things that we can go and look at is after the Public Health England report, the CDC held a grand rounds on the question of e-cigarettes, and it featured important NGOs like the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids. And Tom Frieden, who's head of the CDC, made an interesting statement. He said, for the individual smoker, there's no question that e-cigarettes are safer. But the concern that he has articulated is what's going to be the population level effect. So for the individual smoker, the decision might be easier for physicians who are seeing one patient at a time. And the real question remains, and we're going to have to make regulatory decisions about e-cigarettes, not exactly knowing what the population effect is going to be, but looking at the growing body of evidence and reports like the ones, this is the third in a series from Public Health England, that are, are reading these evidence, but be very aware of the normative lens and the history of the organization that are interpreting the growing body of data. Thank you, Dr. Fairchild.